the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we approach the third Sunday before Lent. The first Sunday was the Sunday of Zacchaeus and the Sunday of Desire. The second Sunday is the Publican and the Pharisee, the Sunday of Humility. Now we come to the Sunday of the Prodigal Son which the theme is to return, repentance and return. I want to start with a story that it must have been when I was six or seven years old. You know how there are certain things in your life that they just stand out and you, it's like you're there again. I can smell what was going on here. I remember how the room looked and everything. Uh, we lived up in the Bay Area, and my mom was just, she's just a great mom, 87 years old, a real pistol. I love her very much. Uh, there was a moment, I remember, I had done something wrong. And uh, she kind of turned her back and walked away and went into the kitchen, not saying anything to me. And... Uh, so I came back out into the kitchen and I said, uh, Mom, Mom, he, he, uh, here I am. She says, uh, well, you're not my son. My son doesn't act like that. I mean, I felt so alienated, so far away from home. And I begged, no, Mom, here I am. This, it's me. It's me. It's like, and she did such a good job of it. She like looked at me. She looked right through me like, oh, you're not my son. You know, it wasn't a hard thing. It wasn't harsh. I didn't feel like she was uh, abandoning me in any way. She was just making the point that her children don't act like that. And if I want to act like that, I'm not one of her kids. I mean, it was such a powerful moment for me. That sense of alienation, that sense of doing something wrong, offending your parents, offending God, and feeling a distance, that's the prodigal son. That's the alienation of the prodigal. Paul Alexander Schmemann, in his book, Great Lent, which I'd encourage you all to read, all before Lent and during Lent, says this about sinning. He says... Something we miss something unless we understand that sin is truly an alienation from God, from the joy of communion with Him, from the real life as created and given by God. It's easy indeed to confess that I have not fasted on the prescribed days or missed my prayers or become angry. It's quite a different thing, however, to realize suddenly that I've defiled and lost my spiritual beauty, that I'm far away from real home, but my real life and that something precious and pure and beautiful has been hopelessly broken in the very texture of my existence for my sin has truly alienated me from God. And then he says, I receive from God wonderful riches, first of all, life and the possibility to enjoy it it's fill, and, and fill it with meaning, love and knowledge. And then in baptism, the new life in Christ himself, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the peace and joy of the eternal kingdom, 
I receive the knowledge of God and in Him the knowledge of everything else and the power to be the Son of God. And all this I have lost. All this I am losing all the time, not only in the particular sins and transgressions that I commit, but the deviation of my love from God, preferring the far country to the beautiful home of the Father. So we see this sense of this, the prodigal has to feel the sense of the prodigal and understand it. There has to be a sense of alienation, that the things I have done have alienated me. It's not just that I did something wrong and I want to be forgiven. It's I've done something wrong and that wrong has alienated me from the Father. And it, it, I'm broken because of it. I am broken because of it. it just, it's so clear to me that moment with my mother. Gosh, it was so clear to me that I had done something wrong. I offended her. And I was alienated. And then she received me back in a very beautiful way. And we hear the words of the psalmist when the nation of Israel was captured by Babylon and they were out in nowhere, away from the city of Jerusalem, away from the temple, unable to worship God as they knew. They were truly in a far country. These are the words of the psalmist. By the rivers of Babylon, there I sat down and I wept when I remembered Zion. How shall we sing of the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer Jerusalem above my chief joy. So today, beloved, we sit to contemplate how our sins have alienated us from God and then how then do we journey back and then who do we journey back to so let's take a look at the parable of the prodigal and uh, examine it and see uh, how our journey can be followed first uh, we see the parable begin with uh, there was a man who had two sons. The man. We begin with the man. And this man is the Father in heaven. And we'll see him later in the parable in a very powerful way. He says, So he gives to his son a share of his inheritance. The son begs for his inheritance and the son receives inheritance. We must understand, <coughs> beloved, that God will give us what our heart desires. God will give it to you. It may not be good for you, but if you beg him hard enough, he'll let it happen because you're free. You're free to choose. You know, we have a prayer in Lent that says, um, at the beginning of Lent, the prayer of St. Ephraim, um, uh, take from me a spirit of laziness, love of power, and idle talk. The way that should be translated is, do not give me. Don't give me a spirit of laziness, faint-heartedness, love of power, and idle talk. Because you know something? I want them. In my heart, I want them. I want to be lazy. I have that sense in me. I want to be faint-hearted. I, I want not to try. I have that in me. 
don't let, don't let me have that desire, Lord. Don't let me have a love of power. I want to lord it over other people. I want to have my way. Don't let that happen. Don't let my mouth talk idly. I like to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. So be careful. God is allowing us freedom. And we have to beg him to, to keep us from these things. Lead us not, Lord, into temptation. So he begged his father, and his father gave him his share of the inheritance. And then he goes off to a far country. And this all began with his thinking. Somewhere in his life, he began to think of another place. And that thought removed him from the love of his father. That one thought struck his heart, engendered a desire, and created a gloom, and then it caused an evil. That's what, that's what evil thoughts do. And we have to understand, we can fight right there. He could have won the war right there. He could have had a victory in his thoughts. But those, those evil thoughts strike the heart. They engender desire. They bring disorder to life. They cause gloom. They, they create a gloom, and then they cause an evil. This is, the, this is the anatomy of an evil thought turned into an evil deed. So in your mind, when you are struck, when you are struck with an evil thought, you have to defeat it. When you start feeling that little bit, little bit of discomfort in your mind, you have to defeat that thought. If it's starting to cause some gloom, you have to defeat that gloom. If it's causing disorder, you have to bring order back. But this is where he lost the war. He lost the war in his thoughts and it eventually caused him to leave his father's house. He squandered his property. He took the love that God, his father, had given to him and tried to find that love out in the world. He squandered that love, that divine love, and tried to just make it earthly love. He squandered the joy of his home, and he went to find the joy in the world. He squandered the peace that was in his heart in relationship to his father and his brother. And he squandered that peace, trying to find that peace in the world. But then, as is God's mercy, a famine came. And all that he was expecting from the world, he lost. He couldn't, in that famine, in that sense of loneliness, in that sense of despair, he lost the presence of God. He lost the love of God. He lost the joy of God. He lost the peace of God. And so he understood during the famine that the world failed him and that he failed himself. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt the world failed you? Have you ever felt that you failed yourself? Things get so bad for him 
that he goes and asks a farmer for some help. And the farmer goes and says, you can, you can help me by taking care of my pigs. And when he went to the pig bin, he realized that that's where his life was. It was now in the pig pen. And, he, and he, he longed to eat the food the pigs were eating. And this is a good point, too, I think, to bring up the big brother. Because the big brother also went to a far country. You hear about it later. But the far country of the big brother was the, the, was the sin of envy. He envied the goodness of his, his other brother. The big brother's sin, the, his other country was full of ingratitude toward all that he had been given by his father. His big brother's uh, sin was selfishness because it was all about him. You never gave me a party. And so we see, too, that both of these, I mean, we can be prodigal and being at home, we can be a prodigal being on the road. Because it's all about the condition of your heart. And so he comes to himself, it says. He has this incredible desire to return to his home. And he even says, no, I don't even want to go back as a son. Just maybe my, maybe, maybe my father will receive me back as a servant. That's all I want. I don't need to be a son. I've lost sonship. I know I've lost that. Lord, help me just come back as a servant. And then he begins to act on that desire. I want to bring up a, 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 a point here, though, between desire and action is the temptation of procrastination. Ah, people laugh. Procrastination. There's a great line in the Lenten hymns and Matins, you know, I've squandered my whole entire life in procrastination. I've, how many have had great desires and never acted on them? Everybody get your hand up, please. That's procrastination. That's procrastination. You know, we feel good about just having a good desire. And, and we let that be it. That, we let that be it. You know, I, need, I have a little problem with somebody. I think I should go talk to them. Oh, I feel really good that I want to go talk to them. This is really a good feeling. I really want to go talk to them. But I never go talk to them. That's procrastination. That's bad. Because to really be, to really live the Christian life as we're called to live it, we have to have a desire, and then we have to act on that desire. See, the prodigal son could have sat there and longed for his father's house, begged him from a distance to be just a servant in his home. That actually made him feel okay. That made him feel like he was on the road to recovery. But you have to act on your desires. If you have a good desire, the saints say, act on it right away. Don't wait. Because the evil one will come in there and then pull the desire away. So, we see this action of the younger son uh, acting on his desire, 
And he comes back in tears and repentance to his father. So we see this sense of confession. This is a really good point on how, how do we come to confession? What's our attitude when we come to confession? I'm prodigal. I've sinned. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm going I'm to I'm expose my sins before you. And Lord, just please forgive me and just let me be a servant. That's our, that's our attitude in confession. We'll find out what happens when we come with that attitude, though. So he goes back home. And the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful scenes in all of Scripture is the explanation of how the father responds to the return of the son. The beauty of this is, is that in an Eastern culture, for a father to bow low to a son is like, you don't do that. For us, maybe. But in that culture, that's, that's not done. So to see this vision of the son walking up toward the house, he's not even in the house yet, and the father is seen vigilantly waiting days, months, years, vigilantly waiting for the return of his son. And it appears that he was looking every day for him. Every day. Vigilantly waiting for the return of his son. So he sees him coming up the road and he runs out and he gets on his knees and he kisses him on the neck. This is how God the Father the Son and the Spirit respond to your repentance. They come to meet you. They come to get you. They come with all the tenderness, all the compassion, all the love, all the forgiveness that can be poured out upon you divinely. And they meet you there. Do you not want that? Do you not want that experience? You know, it should encourage us to go to confession. The confession then should be something we long to do because we have this sense of being alienated by our sin and we experience this love of God the Father on us. So, beloved, I would encourage you to keep this in mind, that this powerful figure of God when you come to confession that God comes out and kisses you. And then, not only that, so God, he's forgiven. And all he wants to do is be a, be a servant. And the father says, no, you're my son. You were lost, and now you're found. And you were dead, but now you're alive. And so he goes and gets the family robe, and he puts the robe on him and says, no, you're the, you have the dignity of my son. You're the dignity of my family again. He puts that robe on him. And then he puts a ring on him to assure him that he's the heir. And then he puts shoes on him to make sure that he is, he is uh, able to now walk the journey of righteousness. And then here comes the kicker. He kills the fatted calf. 
So there are three sons present in this story. Because the fatted calf isn't the fatted calf. The fatted calf is the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, beloved, we rejoice in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. That when we were alienated from God, when we were aliens in a foreign land, he could not stand us tormented by the evil one. He came down and took on our humanity with all its fallenness, with all its struggles, with all its temptations, with all its illnesses, all its sicknesses, all its temptations. He put that on him. And then he suffered that which is unheard of for God to suffer. He suffered death on the cross. So that that body of sin could be done away with. So that that struggles that you have in your life, he would be able to wipe away because he himself conquered them. Not by some magic wand, but by stepping into the very mire of our problems. And then he rose from the dead and allows us now to not only enter through baptism a union with his death, but a union with his resurrection. Because soon we're going to be saying, so we can anticipate it, Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. So we see this beautiful picture of the Father coming down, the Son sacrificing himself for all of us. And so I will say this, the party is just beginning. The party is just beginning. So anticipate this. Anticipate one, Lord, if any, have I done anything in my life to alienate you, myself from you, please forgive me. Receive me back into your kingdom because I know that that sacrifice of your son abounds in such mercy that it overcomes any sin that I have, might have committed. So today we pray that God would take us all back as sons and daughters into his glorious kingdom of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.